The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights Podcast. My name is Preston Ellis, and I am the host and producer for the new home to all things Pelicans on Dash Radio, your new one-stop shop for everything you boogie and brow fanatics need. Now, if you like what you're hearing, follow us on Twitter at The Bird Rights, read our source material at thebirdrights.com, and most importantly, throw yourself over to iTunes and download every available podcast by searching The Bird Rights colon NBA Podcast. Subscribe today and find pregame analysis from opposing experts, recaps, rumors, breaking news, and all of the best analysis. Pels fans, welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. Today we are recapping last night's despair-inducing loss to the Grizzlies of Memphis, Tennessee. Again, I'm I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I'm your host, Preston Ells, and I am joined by the soon-to-be unpredictable Jamal Dunn. He's not with us yet, but we're hoping he's going to call in uh, mid-show. But we also have our old grizzled veteran, Kevin Barrios. You ready for this, Kev? I sure am. <laughs> the excitement in your voice compels me. Uh, as as always, you guys can follow these two at jamdun 6 and at Kevin B for Bounce. Uh, let's just dive right on in. Kevin, we have not spoken since the Pelicans lost 103 to 92 to the Memphis Grizzlies last night. What is your initial reaction to the game and to everything you've been hearing? Well, like um... – one thing is I haven't actually been hearing a lot because it was a rare case of where I had a couple of long lost friends over to watch the game. So I wasn't really much on Twitter or reading Twitter. And then I went straight to work today. So I don't really know what the pulse of the city is at the moment. Um, for me, uh, it was definitely a huge letdown. It's not what I was expecting at all. Um, I thought we'd win the game, but I thought it'd be a tough fought game. Um, 
I didn't think there would be moments where we just looked absolutely pathetic like there were. Um, if I'm going to start with some, I'll start with some positives, I guess. Um, you know, I always thought that with this roster that we had, I even thought this before Anthony Davis, I mean, before DeMarcus Cousins was here, because we had Anthony Davis, that offensive rebounds should be something that we focused on. And it was nice to see uh, what looked like, you know, a real attempt at trying to get that going. I even saw, like, you know, noted uh, rebound allerg- allergic guy, Dante Cunningham, crashing the boards and getting a couple offensive rebounds in there early on, which was nice. Um, I guess he brought his EpiPen with him to Memphis. So that was cool. Um, I like that. Boogie looked downright dominant to start the game. I mean, he was unbelievable shooting threes, banging in the post, passing, blocking shots. I mean, as the game wore on and everything else deteriorated around him, you know, he started to get inefficient in his shots. Uh, But you know, that's to be expected when you're really bearing the, the burden of everybody else and nobody's moving around you. And you just, you know, superstars like him and Anthony Davis kind of were like, okay, we're going to just have to take it on our shoulders now because nobody else is really contributing and get into isolations and all of that, which this, you know, it just compounded more and more problems. Um, so, Boogie being fantastic and a commitment to offensive rebounds were the positives. Now, when I look at everything else, you know, AD had a had a good stat line. He was an efficient shooting. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it could be one of those things where it's just one of those nights where his biorhythms are off because you, you saw shots that he would normally make not go in. Um, or it could just be, you know, he was sick, you know, his illness can slow you down. If you're on medicine, that could, you know, mess up uh, your reaction times, your mental processing of things, and just, you know, how you feel, that affects everything. So I'm not going to take too much into that. I mean, we know Anthony Davis is an incredible scorer and, and, and he can score from all over the floor. So it was just one of those nights. Had he been completely on his normal self, we probably would have won the game, even with everything else uh, crashing into the mountain around him. Um, things that were really troubling is, you know, it's been three years of gentry where we hear, uh, you know, off we hear about movement, moving the ball, people moving around, and still with a lot of just standing around, looking around, not knowing where to go. Early on, I, I saw a lot of cutting going on initially. Um, one thing that was kind of weird is I see a lot of people kind of running to nearly the same spot or crossing near each other, which is while they're moving, they're also causing some congestion on the floor. But I think that's just getting used to knowing where to be, still figuring out the offense. And then, of course, we didn't really know who the small forward was going to be going into the season. And then you're planning to have Rondo and Drew together. So now you have different people and different spots. So that that obviously is going to need some ironing out. Um, but the total lack of movement towards the end is always troubling, and it has been um, for Gentry's entire tenure here. I mean, he can say it all he wants. He's got a new cast of people, and it's still not happening. So is it the players? Is it the coach? I don't know. I'm I'm more inclined to side with the players because I've seen, you know, I've seen Gentry in the NBA for a long time, and I just have never trusted him as a coach. I never wanted him to be hired, and – never wanted him to be retained. So um, 
one of the few things that I did see on social media this morning was when I was going to uh, get get a coffee and like I saw a writer say like, oh, you know, the hot takes are already coming in about fire gentry. And I'm like, how is that even a hot take? I mean, most of the people I know didn't want him to be hired to begin with and then have not been satisfied with his performance for two and a half years, you know, or two, two years plus this off season. So I don't necessarily agree that that's a hot take when people are like fire him. I mean, they should have gotten rid of him already. The roster didn't suit him. It, it doesn't suit him at all now. And it's just, I mean, the offense is, is that's supposed to be his bread and butter. That's what he does. And it's just a nightmare. It's just a mess out there. You know, people aren't moving. They don't know what to do. Um, and then the other thing that I'm looking at is, uh, you know, Drew Holiday. I mean, that was, that was just a pathetic performance. And I just really have never understood this notion that he's this off ball, uh, good scoring shooting guard. Like, I've never seen that from him. To me, he's a much better as a, he's much more effective as a point guard. He seems to be more comfortable. His best scoring games, his most efficient games, are when he is on the ball. Now, obviously, you want to share the ball with distribution and playmaking with Cousins, but having him more on the ball, bringing the ball up, that obviously makes him feel better. I mean, he's not a good catch and shoot shooter. You look at his numbers; he's he's not been a good catch and shoot three point shooter. But he is pretty decent as a pull-up three-point shooter. But if you're taking the ball out of his hands, you're taking that weapon out of his hands. So, I mean, but still, he should be a lot better than one for 11 and looking completely lost no matter what. I mean, it's just a nightmare that that contract's really going to come back to bite us, I think. Um, I mean, I hope he can turn it around. Uh, it's early still, but, man, I've just never understood this whole idea of him being this scoring guard. I mean, he's a great defender, but that's what he is. He's a great defender, an average playmaker, and asking him to do become a, a dominant scorer, it, it just doesn't work. And um, and then if we're talking about, you know, here in our group chats, people are talking about, you know, oh, we need to go get Jameer Nelson. If, if Jameer Nelson is an upgrade over Drew Holiday, then the plane has crashed into the mountains. We need to just start cannibalizing everybody to survive because that's that's terrible. Like Jameer Nelson is a fine player, but I mean, come on, you're paying Drew Holiday that much money. You you guys, all these other guys on the on the on the court, and we need Jameer Nelson to make this work. I mean, come on, please. And then um, for me, as far as the offense goes, you know, I feel like I like the idea, and I've said this before of whoever gets the rebound, immediately pushing it up the floor and, and then just playing on the fly without setting a play. I get that. I understand that. I think we got good rebounders and good enough playmakers to be able to make that work. But in the half set, I want to see more of the Chris Finch offense. Like, I don't want the Alvin Gentry offense. I don't want five five people out. I don't want people standing around in, in superficial passing that doesn't create anything. Um, and also this whole notion of inside out, you know, you only, uh, you only shoot at the basket in the three-point line and eliminate the mid-range game. Like, I understand that as a general concept, and I agree that for the most part, that's what you want. But look, Anthony Davis is not a three-point shooter yet, but what he is is he's an incredible mid-range shooter. He's like, he's like David West was, you know, 
probably even better. And when Gentry got here to begin with, I didn't want him sending Davis out to the three-point line. I wanted Davis playing closer to the basket because that's where he dominates. That's where he's great because we didn't also have another low post presence. But now we have DeMarcus Cousins that can be that low post presence. And you can let Anthony Davis shoot, you know, the 18 to 20 footer that he's going to hit and have Boogie down low, bang, and, and get, get an offensive rebound. It doesn't have to always be three or nothing. So I don't, you know, I just, I'm just over Gentry. I'm tired of that. I mean, the other thing, another big thing that I saw is, you know, Solomon Hill was our guy that we put on whatever perimeter offensive player was the hot guy, the, the, the tough matchup, and we lost him and that really hurt. But then we signed Tony Allen with the idea of being that guy. And then Tony Allen comes in, and they don't put him on Mike Conley, who's hot. Like, I just didn't understand. Like, Mike Conley's killing us. And you bring in Tony Allen, who's supposed to be this defensive stopper, and he's not guarding him. Like, what is going on? You know, like – it doesn't make any sense, and that's coaching, and, and that's a huge problem. And I guess that's all I'm going to say now until I react to whatever else you guys want to throw out. Nice work, dude. Uh, I'm going to wait for Jamal to come in here in a moment, but just to recap uh, some of the stuff that I saw, some of the stuff that worked was – I, I think it's just absolutely proven at this. There's no arguing against the national pundits may want to, but Boogie and AD fit together seamlessly. They put up 61 and 28, all bit on nine of 23 and nine of 21 shooting. But Boogie had eight blocks. The two of these guys on the floor at the same time is not the problem. The problem is, like you mentioned, where is the Chris Finch offensive uh, set? Where Where are the systems that were supposed to be in place all summer? And everybody's you know, whining on Twitter about Rajon Rondo, Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo was a replacement level player the last three years. He got run out of Dallas. Sacramento didn't want to bring him back. Chicago uh, had, they they had all those uh, tumultuous uh, disagreements behind closed doors. He might've won best teammate of the year, but you wouldn't have known that from the stuff he was posting on Instagram about Jimmy Butler and, and Dwayne Wade. And just classically has had these uh, headbutting uh, scenarios with these head coaches and has not been, the best version of himself uh, other than those two playoff games. When I talked to my Chicago Bulls buddies, they said, you know, you don't want this guy on your team unless it's on national television, which coincidentally I think we are on Friday. So we might want him for that game. But all I'm saying is this might be a rejuvenation project where Rajon Rondo comes in and saves the New Orleans Pelicans. But it's not something that we should hope for. It's not something that we should be expecting. We should be expecting Anthony Davidson, DeMarcus Cousins, two of the best 20 players in the world, according to NBA 2K, the best two guys at their respective positions. They should be enough. And Dell Demps, who's supposed to be renowned for putting these like 10-day contract type level players together, you know, getting the best out of a James Ennis, a Tim Frazier, getting these guys into the league, Luke Babbitt. And he can't seem to do it. Let's let's see we had eight points from our bench last night drew holiday two of 11 shooting somebody that you mentioned you know we just gave 150 million dollars to all all but it's not all guaranteed but it is counting against the cap so it is a uh, he's he's the most uh well-paid man in new orleans at this moment he's paid more than anthony davis more than demarcus cousins and more than Drew Brees. we've got him locked up for five years there's no way to describe this other than a disaster other than the fact that it is opening night and we are playing one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. The Pelicans were not atrocious defensively. You know, you've got all these comments on Twitter about, you know, Jordan Crawford being a turnstile out there, but we did hold these guys to 40% shooting on the night, 31% shooting from three. The problem was not our defense. The problem was our offense. 
you know, and it is totally confounding having Tony Allen guarding Mario Chalmers instead of Mike Conley, who did score 27 points and was ultra efficient, but he wasn't the reason that the Pelicans lost. And here is Jamile Dunn. Jamile, you there, man? I'm here, finally. All right. I'm just going to sum up real quick uh, what Kevin gave to us, and then we're going to get your reactions. Uh, Obviously, we talked about how well A.D. and Boogie played, and A.D., uh, you know, he had the the stomach flu. He had the strep throat. He got hit in the face probably about 15 times last night. But the disaster of the Pelicans bench, uh, the two for 11 shooting from Drew Holiday, uh, the lack of a Chris Finch offensive system after the first quarter. The first quarter, when Jamichael Green was in the contest, the Pelicans were electric. Uh, they were up 34 to 27, playing great defense. DeMarcus Cousins finished with eight blocks. And then something just happened in the second, third, and fourth quarter. 17 turnovers, a terrible shooting, um, and everybody just fell apart. And our third highest scorer after DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis was Etwan Moore with 11 points. We already covered the Tony Allen guarding Mario Chalmers instead of Mike Conley. We covered how everybody's blaming this disaster on not having Rajon Rondo out there. Jamal, uh, Talk about your initial reactions to the game and where do you think the Pelicans are right now? The Memphis Grizzlies obviously are a veteran team. They know each other. They've got a great coach. They play great defense. Are you panicking? Uh, no. I mean, it's it's the first game, right? So uh, you can you can never panic or, or get too excited about a first game. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people after that horrible, hard to even call it a finish because it was it was like three quarters of the game. But, you know, the way they finished the game um, was really discouraging. But at the same time, you know, we hear players talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Like, uh, for instance, LeBron, when his teams have started slowly, uh, especially when he switched teams, he always talks early in the season like, hey, it's going to take us a while to, to, to gel and all this kind of stuff. And it's no different with this team. Now, of course, we don't give this team the benefit of the doubt, and they haven't really earned it because – um, they don't necessarily – they don't ever gel, it seems like. But uh, I was encouraged by what I saw in the first quarter. That was a team that, you know, for the most part, absent Holiday doing anything. Um, but that was a team in terms of style that I was hoping to see this season. It just seemed like – and I think this is the difference between a team like the Pelicans where a lot of the pieces are moving and, you know, the coaching staff always is kind of being – shifted around a little bit and in terms of what they're focusing on. Uh, But you look at a team like the Spurs, of course, and everybody thinks the Spurs make players better, and they do. But the reason they don't fall off when somebody like Kawhi is out, uh, they don't fall off as much as other teams would, is because everybody knows the system, right? There's no role ambiguity. There's no uh, anybody wondering, well, what you know, how am I going to get my shot? Where am I going to get my shots? Like, I still feel like Holiday has no – I don't even know what's going on with Holiday. Um, and so I don't want to wander too much into that. I guess I can get to that. But um, just in terms, of, in terms of the overall performance, you know, just keeping it on the positive side, I saw some things that were good. Um, the thing that was troubling, though, is not just that Holiday played poorly, but the total – I would have loved for him to be attacking and but just, you know, picking up charges and, and, and blowing layups and stuff like that. Um, that would have been more encouraging than to see him being completely passive. And he really plays like like a, a like a, a low-level role player, like an Etwan Moore or something like that in terms of his aggressiveness. If you're making that much money, you should probably be taking shots even if they're not going in. So um, that was the most discouraging thing. 
hopefully he bounces back, but but I really don't know if I can give Holiday the benefit of the doubt at this point. Uh, I want to. Believe- Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. I can't believe you're going to insult Etwan Moore like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Etwan was actually more active and scored twice the points, more than twice the points. So, yeah, that that might be a slander. Yeah, but I'm Etwan- sure Etwan wouldn't mind having Drew's bank account. Yeah, for yeah, real. For- um, Etwan uh, showed some really nice touch on those transition layups, uh, often with guys in his face redirecting his shots. There was one really impressive uh, lay-in where a guy was coming up as he was going up. He held onto the ball, switched hands, and then threw up the ball as he was falling down. Really impressive stuff. I would like to see him be a bit more aggressive as well. 11 points in 34 minutes is not necessarily enough. Last year, he averaged, I think, 9.8 in 26 minutes. So certainly want to see a little bit more aggressiveness from him because it certainly appears that he has the touch and the, the wherewithal to find those, those alleyways to cut underneath the basket. We saw him do that a couple of times last night. I want to cover a couple of quotes, and I'm going to start with you, um, Jamile. A lot of the quotes from Drew Holiday, Alvin Gentry, they're just kind of like, hey, guys kind of lost what they were doing out there. Uh, Drew Holiday said, I think when you struggle a bit, oh, this Alvin Gentry, guys try to take it upon themselves. It's not a selfish way, but they take it upon themselves to get a basket for the team. That's what happened. Holiday said, it's just attention to detail. I don't think people realize how big it is for Davis and Cousins to have an outlet. And I think we weren't there, including myself. We weren't in the right position. They were getting doubled. And then Holiday uh, continued some complaining about Rondo not being there. Boogie said the same thing. And then Boogie said, we got real stagnant and we started forcing the issue. Cousins said, we didn't make the defense work. We started settling for the initial drive. They are very fixable issues. I just wish we could have fixed them on the fly. All of these guys sound like, hey, no big deal. We're going to have it fixed by Friday. Is that your impression, Jamile? Um, No, (laughs) that's not my impression at all. I mean, maybe if they were playing, you know, the Suns, uh, that might, you know, that that might be true. But you're playing the Warriors. Every flaw that you have is going to be magnified ten times. So they might fix it, but it won't be Friday. Um, I mean, this team is just going to take some time to jail. But if we learned anything, is that this offense, as great as Davis and Cousins are, um, this offense needs uh, somebody to stir it. Because Drew is just not that, at least right now, he's not playing like that guy. They need somebody getting in the paint and causing a little trouble, making the defense move. You know, so when Drew's talking about we're not in the right spots, you know, when they're getting double teamed, like, dude, you have got to be the one who's attacking the defense and getting everybody moving so that they can't double uh, Cousins and AD as easily. You know, but if you're not moving, and speaking specifically about Drew Holiday, like, where do you want Etwan Moore to move? Where is he going? Like, but but Holiday is the only one who they will respond to on the defense in terms of, um, you know, if he's driving, unless maybe he just couldn't get past his defender. But I just didn't see him being very um, decisive. And so they desperately need somebody who can actually attack the paint and, and get the offense going um, in terms of the other guys. But I just don't see that person on the roster. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, get on in here. Uh, another quote, uh, Boogie and Drew Holiday both complaining about Rajon Rondo not being there. And this was something we touched upon uh, before you got here, Jamile. Boogie said, it sucks going through training camp, playing a certain type of way, and then boom, uh, referring to the Rondo entry. We had gotten used to playing a certain way with the guy. Then you have to adjust. That's no excuse for the ball movement and how we defended. 
And Gentry said, uh, I saw more positives than negatives. I thought we did a good job showing that they can coexist on the floor and still do a good job on the boards. It's where as scoring, now we just have to get other guys involved. Kevin, the problem with this argument is that in the first quarter, we did see the ball movement. We did see the ball go through the hoop. I think they were five of eight from three-point range, finished seven of 25. So whatever was working in the first quarter, including some incredible moves from Anthony Davis, uh, Kyrie Irving is always uh, diagnosed as the best one-on-one scorer in the NBA. But after seeing some of those uh, those pivots, those pirouettes, like uh, Anthony Davis shook someone out of his boots. And I can't remember who it was. It had to be Jermichael Green or Marcus Saul. But there was just this gorgeous move six minutes into the game. He's got to be one of the best uh, one-on-one scorers in the NBA at this point. Um, just all that stuff fell off in the second quarter, and everybody's just blaming it on the lack of a point guard. But, hey, there was no point guard in the first quarter. What do you think changed in the second quarter that just led for the rest of the game to go downhill? Well, I mean, you got you to gotta think one thing is Memphis probably made some defensive adjustments as well. Um, I think, you know, like I said, Anthony Davis is dealing with an illness. It probably hampered him a little bit, made him feel a little bad, so he started to get more sluggish as the game went on. Um, other guys just were getting beat by their man and they were not getting free. They were not moving. They didn't know what to do. And once that starts to happen, then your two superstars are like, okay, I'm going to put it on my back now, which they did. Um, and which lead, led to a lot more isolation, as I said before, because of, uh, that sense is like, okay, I got to carry the team now. And it led to some, uh, their numbers started to get more inefficient. Um, I think there's a lot of frustration over fouls, too. I mean, that officiating was very questionable. Um, so all of that frustration from dealing with the officials, frustration from people not being in spots or moving the right way, um, shots just stop falling, which happens. I mean, like you can't really judge the offense by if somebody makes a shot or not because that stuff is variant. It's just how good of a look the shot is for that particular player that's how you can grade it out but um you know like Jamal said it perfectly I mean we need Holiday attacking the basket going in creating some havoc we need I mean Etuan Moore could also do that like you said like I've always been really high on his floater game like I watched a bunch of Chicago games right before he uh right after he signed him and I was really excited because his floater game and layup game is really nice and um so that's something that needs to be used more, whether he's driving the ball towards the basket or if he's catching it as he just charges to the basket. You know, they find him on, on a cut. Um, those things need to happen more, and that'll open up other things. But, you know, they can't just stand around, and, you know, that's just not going to work. And, Jamal, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's good. Go ahead. Uh, Jamal, before we get into Darius Miller and Ian Clark, I do want to make sure I touch upon this. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins got a technical foul. He's had 96 since coming into the league, and he got his first of the season last night. It was a, a bit of a curious situation. Um, he, he later said he was making a mistake, but Ali Cassell uh, posted on thebirdrights.com exactly the language that he thought that he heard this young lady saying behind the backboard and DeMarcus Cousins retaliated in whatever fashion he did. I, I didn't hear exactly what was said or what gesture was made, but he was hit with a technical foul. He called it later bogus, although he regretted addressing the fan. What What is your point of view on this? We saw that this, this young woman was giving a card, basically saying if she continued this, that she was going to be led out of the stadium. What is your perspective on these fans uh, engaging with these players? And do you think they were too light on whoever this fan was? 
no, I mean, we're not looking for the Gestapo. Like, you know, it's not – whatever she said, she said it was obviously disrespectful or someone felt it was disrespectful, um, and, and it should be addressed. Now, I think fans just in general um, – and it's a very, very, very small amount of fans that get that – you know, that uh, aggressive towards players in terms of their language. But, you know, there still are people who, you know, feel like, you know, they're close enough now to say whatever it is they want to say to these guys. Uh, And I always look at it as, you know, they wouldn't ever say this in a one-on-one, you know, if they're just standing in a room with him, they wouldn't say that to him, but they feel like they're protected because he's he's basically at work. So what is he going to do? So it sucks that, you know, some people would, um, you know, waste their money, come to a game to disrespect somebody like that uh, if if that's what she did. But uh, I, I thought it was appropriate, give him a warning the first time, unless it's really egregious. I don't know what she said, so I don't know, you know, how appropriate it was. But um, if they're just saying something disrespectful, give them a warning um, first, and then if they do it again, you're banned, you, you know, banned from coming back to the game. Uh, Kevin, of course, we're referring to the malice of the palace when we think about, you know, these guys are human. And uh, the, it was definitely a lot of F-bombs is what Ali uh, wrote on the birdrights.com. Some of the stuff she was saying at him. And people have made a point of targeting Boogie because they know he's got a shorter trigger than somebody like an Anthony Davis would have. And they know that they can get a rise out of him. Uh, how much of this do you think is on Boogie for engaging with these fans? Uh, I don't know if you remember this last year, Russell Westbrook was engaging with a fan after he like went to the first row. This guy had both of his middle fingers pointed in Russell Westbrook's face. And he kind of like <laughs> stared at him dumbfounded with his finger pointed at the guy. Like, is this guy for real? What is this guy doing over here? And of course that guy was let out of the building. How much of this do you think Boogie brings on himself? And how much do you think this is just like, you know, drunk people feeling strong, as Jamal just uh, just said, you know, feeling like they, they can't be touched. They're in a safe place. And and these people, you know, just need to be let out of the stadium because there's no place for it because these people are human. Where where do you associate most of the blame? Well, I, I see it as a kind of an intersection of those two things. I mean, I I can't remember exactly what she was saying, but I could hear I was like, before I was aware of what was going on, I thought there was like fans fighting. I could hear like some screaming in the background and you could, and, and I was like, there was definitely F-bombs, but I can't remember exactly what was said, but I was like, wow, these fans are like fighting or something. And then all of a sudden Boogie got a technical and I was like, oh, okay. It was him interacting with her, but I couldn't, uh, I didn't hear him say anything. I could just hear this woman screaming. Um, and, you know, it's just, one of the, it, like like Jamal said, you know, he has that reputation, um, so people are going to push him harder, and it's just something that he needs to understand. I mean, it's, it sucks that people are like that. I mean, like like we said um, with uh, with I've said this before with the Quincy Pondexter stuff in that article came out. You know, people like posting things, cursing him out about not playing the guy's knees destroyed. You know, and they're like they're like cursing him out for not playing up in a basketball game. Um, so. Like, fans can be ridiculous. I mean, fan is short for fanatic. You know, I work in the service industry. I bartend on Saturdays during college football games, and it's, like, the worst thing. College football fans are a nightmare, and you see it all the time. And <laughs> just, it, it really is. I mean, it's sad. Like, I, I despise when I see people come in dressed in their college, college uh, support, you know, 
closing, I'm like, oh, man, here we go, you know, and it always gets, like, heated fights with people from different schools. Over they, didn't, they didn't even go to the school, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> like, most LSU fans around here didn't even graduate from LSU, but they, like, will just harass somebody because they're, they're wearing a Alabama hat or something. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just sports. You know, it's not it's not a big deal. You just happen to like that team because that's where you're from. You know, um, it's it's just people just need to calm down. You know, but he needs to understand that whether it's fair or not, he has that reputation and he has that all of that heat on his shoulders. So he just needs to start flipping it on them, like joke with them. You know, try to win them over with a joke or or just laugh it off. You know, and walk away, not take it so personal to heart. Um, that's something he needs to learn to do, but also fans just need to chill out. It's, it's pretty ridiculous sometimes. All right, Jamal, I'm going to take you out on this one. Uh, from our bench, we got a combined three of nine shooting. Check Diallo only played one minute. Darius Miller in 17 minutes shot once. Uh, Jamal Crawford in, uh, sorry, Jordan Crawford. I can't believe I did that. In 13 minutes, uh, was two of four. Tony Allen, one shot. Ian Clark, one of three in 21 minutes. Why were these guys not taking shots? I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier of I don't think the guys always I think right now they don't know where to get their shots. The best NBA offenses if you watch them night in night out um like if you watch Portland or something you know yeah those guards are amazing but most of the team they all know exactly where they're getting their shots. They know where they're taking them where they where they're not the shots that the team doesn't want them to take. This team doesn't have any of that kind of uh, continuity right now. And it seemed like it seemed like it was better with the starting group, but as soon as they started mixing other players in, um, you know, it, it kind of got thrown off. And it could be because they didn't really have a long training camp, and you know, there are a lot of new faces and people to work in, like Ian Clark, uh, Darius Miller, and you know, and some of the other guys. So, you know, it, it could. I think that's a lot of what it is. Now, I, I still think they're missing, um, you know, a penetrator. Uh, but at the same time, I think the guys just in general, like you really think we didn't Jordan Crawford barely even played in the preseason. So how is he supposed to know? And, and we were all, or not, we were all, but some people were saying, well, maybe they, the coaches know what they have in him really, because that's fine. If the coaches know what he can, his skill set, but he still needs to have some on court time with, with, uh, with, with his teammates. And when you're playing him no time in the preseason, and then giving him, you know, even though it's not a ton of minutes, but, you know, more minutes than he played in some of the preseason games um, in his first regular season game, of course he's not going to know where to get his shots, you know. And then you bring these guys in, the offense is already stagnant until now Now we're looking at Jamal Crawford like a savior when he comes in, which is just not a role. I mean, he's a, you know, I think he can be a solid little sneaky role player, but he's not, he's not sort of the guy that you want coming off the bench that that's going to be your savior if you're down. Because he just he just needs he needs more space than that. If you start making him uh, become the main playmaker, he's going to turn it over. So um, I just thought the guys overall just didn't know where to get their shot. They looked confused, and that's probably why they weren't moving because they didn't know where to go. All right, Jamal. Uh, before I let you go, Draymond Green is doubtful on Friday night, the home opener in the Smoothie King Center against the Pels, nine thirty Eastern start time. Uh, what's your prediction for this matchup? Um, I think the Pels will keep it close early. And, I mean, but this is typical of a lot of Golden State games. 
you know, people kind of keep it close early and try to muck the game up. Um, but at, in the end, Golden State's talent is going to win. We don't have anybody to deal with. Uh, Kevin Durant. I mean, I, I mean, Holiday maybe could, you know, theoretically slow down Curry a little bit, but it doesn't even matter. They have Durant and Klay Thompson, who's who in that in that uh, last game was shooting um, really well. So there's we we just can't guard anybody on their on their team uh, on the perimeter, and so it's it's going to get ugly. But the Pels will make it interesting because they're going to be able to attack the Warriors where uh, whether the weakest, which is on the inside, and you know, but how long can you keep that up before the Warriors, you know, make an adjustment, deny them the ball, um, or their shooting just gets away from us? Because the one bad thing about the, this team is that if another team hits, you know, uh, two or three threes in a row, like they don't have a very quick answer to that. Like they, they just sort of fade away, and we all know Golden State's going to have those runs where, you know, it doesn't matter if you play good defense or not, they're just going to hit a 35-foot three on you. So I think they keep it close early, and the Pels give them some real problems in the uh, in the front court. But in the end, uh, the perimeter players are going to end up winning out over, uh, over our guys who are going to be overmatched. All right, boys, thank you so much again. That's Jamile Dunn. You can follow him at Jam Dunn, two N's, O six. And then Kevin Berrios at Kevin B for Bounce coming up immediately after this pod. We've got Mike Park of Asian Man Records coming on to spit some fire about today's political landscape and how it affects the entertainment industry. Oh, yeah, and we'll actually talk some Golden State Warriors too, some rotation, some of the history of the Warriors. And what's it like to be a, a super fan of one of the biggest teams and or I guess one of the most successful teams in the history of the NBA? For now, I'm... I'm Preston Ellis at Preston Ellis. Be sure to check out our pod now on Dash Radio and be sure to check into thebirdrights.com every single day. Bye for now. Jam, any parting shots? Mile? I guess he left. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. No, sorry, sorry. I was on. No, sorry. I was on mute. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, no. Any, any parting shots for no, you, just, buddy? Yes. Just, just keep hope alive. There are brighter days ahead. We're not playing the Warriors every night. Um, and this is going to be a fun team to watch, but there's going to be some nights like this too. So, you know, stay positive. Absolutely. And we did diagnose before the season that uh, the end of January through early March is when the Pelicans are going to rattle off a lot of wins. That's the best part of our uh, schedule, about 15 very winnable games in a row during that time period. So it's going to be bumpy. But once we hit that, uh, hit the ground running in January, and we have Rajon Rondo back and hopefully get Salmon Hills sometime after the All-Star break, Hopefully, we'll really start rolling around that time. So keep faith alive. Uh, we've got Mike Park coming just in two minutes. Uh, so for now, uh, thank you guys for listening, and let's go, pals. Thanks again, Pelicans fans. Again, you are listening to the BirdRights.com's podcast on Dash Radio. Find more on iTunes by searching the BirdRights colon NBA podcast. And find our source material at thebirdrights.com. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? 
paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance.